Classes are canceled today at Chicago Public Schools. The teachers union voted late last night to teach remotely because of COVID safety concerns. Chicago Public Health Commissioner Dr. Allison Arwady says that the risk to children remains relatively low, especially for kids who are vaccinated. The city is averaging nearly 4,600 cases per day as the Omicron variant continues to surge. Dr. Arwady joins us now for the latest on the city's efforts to fight the coronavirus. Welcome back to Reset. Thanks for having me. All right, let's start with schools, Doctor. The uh, Chicago Teachers Union voted 73% in favor of remote work only. And as a result, classes for CPS kids are canceled today. Why do you think that that's the wrong approach? So, you know, I, I was disappointed uh, by that decision. At this point, two years into the pandemic, you know, there are still many things we're learning. But one thing we have seen is that schools are not significant drivers of COVID spread. And we've seen that in Chicago. We've seen that across the country. We also know that uh, where adults are fully vaccinated and especially if they're boosted too, they're very, very unlikely to get seriously ill. Children already very unlikely to get seriously ill. And if you get vaccinated, you know, we've not had a single five to 11 year old who's been vaccinated, who's you know been seriously ill with COVID at this point. And when I think about the disruption um, that we have seen uh, to children and the very negative effects, not just on academics, but on all of the other things that um, CPS uh, students depend on, I am disappointed by this. Really, my main goal is let's get this done as quickly as possible. I hope we're back in school soon. Uh, and in the meantime, I know it's hard for parents, and I'm asking really everybody, if you're unexpectedly having to be off work, if your child's unexpectedly home, if you can, please take that opportunity to make a vaccine appointment for your child. If there's anybody at your home who isn't boosted yet, that is going to be the most important thing to keep our schools safe and keep them open. So you insist uh, school is the safest place for the kids to be right now. The the mitigation procedures that you say is, is keeping these schools safe, is that true for all schools? How can you be sure? Yeah, so, uh, you know, for one thing, at CDPH, we, of course, look, we don't just do CPS. We look at all the schools across the city. Uh, the other systems, you know, remain open. Are there individual classrooms? Are there potentially even individual schools that have to flip? If you have a lot of students or teachers out, yes, and that is also the plan at CPS. But at a district um, or school system-wide level, what we see is that where there are, you know, first of all, where there are good vaccination numbers, um, but also where there have been major investments in things like ventilation. These are the kinds of investments that we haven't been able to make in every setting in Chicago, but in the schools, all the way down to the classroom level at CPS, you know, they're monitoring that every week if there's issues not using that. You look at masks, they've got them, you know, widely available. They've had excellent, you know, use of them, um, a lot of the distancing, the cohorting, uh, symptom screening, testing, all of these things together, um, really have made it that uh, even before vaccines were available, when we compared, we had this sort of natural experiment, if you will, in Chicago last year when CPS was not in person um, and the archdiocese, the largest private school system in the U.S., uh, and uh, and our others were open, um, we actually looked at the data. And for both students and staff who were in person in school, their risk of COVID 
was lower than the people who were out. And that's because kids are getting together anyway in a lot yeah. of cases, frankly. Um, and when and in settings where we let our guards down against COVID is where we tend to see more spread. Schools just, and I, we didn't know that at the beginning, but two years in, that's why public health professionals around the world really do say schools should be uh, the first to open and the last to close. Well, I want to get back to testing that you, you mentioned there really quickly, because testing in CPS schools, that continues to be a major issue. If all staff and all students were tested regularly and this was mandated as opposed to it just, you know, being a choice to opt in. Would your claims about safety still hold up, Dr. Arwoody? Yeah. So, you know, testing is really I, I always have to remind people about this. A test is a moment in time assessment of whether somebody has COVID. It does not in and of itself, you know, protect that person from developing COVID. Obviously, we use that information uh, to make additional decisions. But in settings where, again, the mass, all these other things are in place, the concern is that, and, and this is a big conversation. I've, I've asked, you know, my staff to look at it again. We we know that there are parents who are uncomfortable with uh, their child, you know, regularly getting tested, too. We're hearing that. Um, it's widely available. There's testing happening in every single CPS school this week and, you know, has been. Um, and I, you know, I worry a little bit. Um, I would, of course, like there to be more testing available. Don't get me wrong. But particularly at a moment where rapid tests are just, they're not in the market. Um, I worry that, that that, uh, you know, the, the, the extreme focus on the testing piece um, puts a lot on one piece of the mitigation strategy. And, uh, you know, in a highly vaccinated setting, the CDC doesn't even recommend testing, right, like at all. Um, and so, again, we're just trying to really look at what we know about the guidance. Yes, testing is important. I hope CPS parents out there sign their kids up for testing. Um, and if there are decisions, you know, to go other directions, we'll certainly look at that. Um, so but I don't – testing to me doesn't make a setting uh, secure in the way that, that, frankly, you know, vaccination and some of the other things do. But, but testing would tell us how many kids are walking around the building with COVID. And it would. then school would possibly not be the safest place for kids to be, right? Well, so the difference, though, honestly, is is about whether we see transmission within the school setting, right? And this is this is the thing that I, I know it's it can be a little challenging for folks. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily go with what with what you might expect. But what we see is that with the good masks, with you know, with these things in place. You know, we've, we spent all last semester, um, you know, including through the whole Delta surge, uh, looking for COVID in schools, right? And the, and the way, you know, partly because there's, you know, there hasn't been this, and, and please, you know, across the country, there's not recommendations to do universal testing. Really the recommendation, you know, at the CDC, test 10% of unvaccinated students weekly, like to sort of have a sense, be careful about symptom screening, be careful about making sure you've got testing access for people with symptoms, et cetera. Um, but what we, but what we don't see um, is that is that uh, uh, it, it's really where where kids are um, are coming to school sick? That is a big problem, right? You don't want that for sure. You want to make sure there's testing access there. Um, but we saw we 
quarantined a lot, right, CPS did. So, you know, one case, they're flipping the whole classroom at the elementary school level while they work on the contact tracing to help limit, right, um, potential spread. And um, we saw very few of those children uh, test positive. Like in that whole quarantine period, we're talking the most we saw in any week, 3% of the kids in quarantine um, subsequently testing positive. So even where we know there was a child with COVID in the classroom and we acted on it to quarantine the whole classroom. Most weeks it was in the 1% range of all the kids who were quarantined tested positive. In the peak of the Delta surge, it was about 3%. So the sense that if there is a child who does have COVID, the whole school is going to get COVID, it's just not what we see in the data. And it's important that, you know, we're doing those conservative things right now um, and flipping classrooms and potentially flipping schools. But that's different than moving a district um, completely to remote learning when there are schools with excellent protocols in place, uh, very high vaccination rates, um, and, uh, and and no sign of outbreaks or spread. Well, we do see spread in schools. It also tends to be very low. The average number of cases in any of, 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 of the small clusters and outbreaks, 2.5 cases, mostly among students. Um, so, are you, you know, there's this image. Yep, go are, are you expecting the Omicron wave to peak in January as you talk about these, uh, uh, these numbers? Yeah, yeah. I... I and certainly, I you know, we will feel a lot more reassured if we start to see the U.K. and Europe um, clearly coming down. South Africa looked good, right? About four weeks after um, it really took off there, it peaked, and it took another couple of weeks to come back down. Um, but we've not yet seen that in um, other settings that are probably match in terms of age, et cetera, the U.S. better. I'm about you know, 85 to 90% confident that, yes, we will see Omicron peak in January here in Chicago. Um, but you can never be 100%, and I don't know exactly when that will be. And the concern is if we're dragging on sort of week after week after week after week, um, you know, what, what are we doing here? So that's how we're thinking about it. Um, so you are and, concerned uh, about the direction we're yeah, heading, but, right? Because we know case rates right now in Chicago is the highest it's ever been since the start of the pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Case rates are the highest. Um, and so, to be clear, are hospitalizations. And that's my bigger concern. But those hospitalizations are happening. The, the whole increase, if you look at it, in hospitalizations is unvaccinated Chicago adults. The protection level for um, Chicago adults who are fully vaccinated, especially if they're boosted, remains excellent. Um, you know, we shared yesterday, my, my epidemiologist ran the data, working age adults, 30 to 64, just since Omicron surge here in Chicago, 35 times more likely to be hospitalized with COVID if they're unvaccinated compared to those who are vaccine boosted. And I... You know, I know people are worried. I'm worried, too. Um, but where, the settings that I am worried about are not the settings with the strong uh, mitigation things in place. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what we're trying to balance here. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're talking with Chicago Public Health Commissioner Dr. Allison Arwoody. She's breaking down the latest on the city's pandemic response. In about five minutes on the program, as we prepare to mark one year since the January 6th insurrection, we're going to look at the growing support for acts of political violence in this country and what it says about our democracy. So stay tuned for that conversation. Uh, Doctor, the, the city just implemented a new vaccine mandate for indoor venues. Uh, we know that that's something that's happened in other cities across the country, L.A., D.C., um, New York. Uh, New York implemented this proof of 
vaccination mandate back in August, and it didn't stop cases from surging over the holidays. What makes you so confident that it'll work here? So what we've seen is that places, and there are a lot of places, even in unexpected places like New Orleans, too, that have, that have done this kind of work, um, is that it did have a significant impact on vaccination rates. And in New York City, which, by the way, is doing, has a higher case rate and a significantly higher positivity than we do right now here in Chicago, they are not seeing the hospitalization surge because people are vaccinated. At the end of the day, when I'm, you know, the number one thing that we have to do, and this has been true from the beginning, is make sure we don't overwhelm our hospitals. Being at a point where someone cannot get the care they need, uh, if they have a heart attack, if they get in a car crash, they need to deliver a baby, that is not a theoretical. It has happened, uh, not here, but it has happened um, in in the world during uh, COVID. And the, the the tragedy here is that you know, there's a lot of focus that there are breakthrough cases. Are there breakthrough cases with Omicron? Yes, lots and lots of them. Uh, in people who are fully vaccinated and boosted, are they getting seriously sick? They are not. In most cases where we're looking at it, they're having a 24 to 36 hour, um, you know, mild illness. And that's what they're seeing in New York. Are we seeing more breakthrough uh, cases with Omicron than other variants? Yes, many more, uh, largely because people who are depending on um, sort of prior antibodies uh, are, are not showing any protection, meaning prior natural antibodies, people who, you know, had early versions of, of, uh, of um, the COVID virus are, you know, five times as likely to be getting, uh, you know, reinfected um, with the Omicron variant. And then people who uh, are vaccinated um, also seeing big increases in those infections, but the vaccines, thank goodness, are still keeping people from getting seriously ill. Um, and so for in New York, no, it doesn't stop all the cases, but are they more vaccinated than we are here? Yes, by quite a lot. And are they therefore, are they less threatening their healthcare system? Yes, they are. Um, and I, you know, that's the one thing. We run out of that ability. That's when we have to do the stuff we really don't want to do. The, you know, the, the major kind of shutdowns, trying to avoid it. We've seen some of Europe have to do it. Yeah. That's because you run out of healthcare capacity, and that is directly linked to whether or not people are vaccinated. So I only have you for a couple more minutes. So I, I want to get back to COVID testing. Um, we talked mm-hmm. about this a bit before when we discussed Chicago public schools. Um, There are residents that are having trouble finding appointments and at-home tests right now. What's the city doing to help get more people tested? Sure. Um, So a couple things. Just on the uh, at-home tests, those are extremely hard to find. Um, I myself can't get them. The health department put its last ones into the homeless shelter last week. You know, I've ordered some personally, knowing that they'll take a a week or so when you order them online to come. Um, But uh, I would, you know, the, the reason that has become difficult is because there was a decision to centralize this at the federal level. I actually think that is a good thing in terms of using the Defense for Production Act, making sure more of these available, making sure they're free, but but it's not in place yet. I, I got an update yesterday. They're expecting sort of late the second week of January, third okay. week of early, early third week of January is when these, these should be available, and they're going to be sending them out free. Um, but that's not today. That's still a few weeks away. Um, so the concern is we're in this surge now. I think for people um, – 
there are, you know, you can call our, our number always if, if you need uh, specific help. There is testing capacity um, at hospitals, at healthcare facilities, um, but really we don't want people going to the hospital to get a test if they're otherwise feeling well. Um, so the lines are long, um, but if you really need a COVID test, um, there, 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 is, there is capacity, but you might, you might need to wait. However, what we're telling folks is, first of all, if you do have a home test and it's positive, just consider it positive. Don't go out and try to get another one. Try to get a repeat. It's fine. Consider it positive. If you're feeling unwell, maybe it's a cold, maybe it's flu. You're not going to know for sure. But with the amount of COVID we have in this, the city right now, it's probably COVID. Stay home five days. If you're feeling better after five days, especially if you're vaccinated and boosted, you're good. It's okay. We don't need to count every case, but we do need to follow, obviously, um, what's happening in the formal testing so, so system. Those, so those, I know it's frustrating. Those at-home that's, tests. That's where we are. Those at-home tests that are positive, doctor, that that aren't reported to the city, what should people do with those results? Um, so we, uh, some of them have QR codes, actually, if you look at the package where there's a way to report it. But whether or not, we don't need to count every individual case. We, we factor that in when we're looking at positivity numbers. Uh, we follow what's happening with hospitalizations. It's the work, you know, we don't count every influenza case either. Uh, but we look and we take samples of what percentages are positive in different settings. We're doing some of that behind the scenes. Um, so uh, I don't want people concerned that, you know, the home test for public health purposes won't count. Um, but I do want people to, 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 to take seriously any positive test, treat any positive test as positive right now. You don't need to confirm it. The Chicago Public Health Commissioner, Dr. Allison Arwady. Dr. Arwady, thanks for stopping by. Yep, thank you. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.